You're listening to a podcast by Oak Magazine. I would like to acknowledge the Dja Wurrung people as the traditional owners of the land on which this episode was recorded. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Welcome to A Friend of Mine, a series of conversations with some incredible and inspiring women in business from regional and rural Australia. I'm Kimberly Finesse your host and the founder and editor of Oak Magazine. And I cannot wait to introduce you to some amazing female entrepreneurs who will share with you their experience and knowledge of what it takes to start, grow and scale a successful business. So let me introduce you to a friend of mine. Fiona Lanford is one of those incredibly special people. Fiona and her husband Wayne have fostered 32 children and adopted four, along with being biological parents to their daughter Jess. Fiona's career started out in special education. It was through her work and her children that she saw a growing need for services that would proactively support not only isolated and or disadvantaged families, but also neurodivergent children and their families. Three of their adopted children identify as neurodivergent and to find professionals who are versed in neurodivergence, the impact of disability and also trauma-informed was a challenge. Not to mention finding someone who understood the complexities of living in rural and regional Australia. With the encouragement of others, Fiona retrained over a period of years and in 2016 established Courage Wisdom Change, which empowers children, youth and adults with skills for positive change. Fiona shares with us her late career change, moving into counselling and unintentionally establishing herself as a neuro-affirming practice, why she's seeing more women identify as neurodivergent, the importance of looking after your mental health and well-being, and her highs and hurdles as a business owner. This episode is really good. And to talk to a counsellor who has lived experience is something special. Meet my friend Fiona from Courage Wisdom Change. Hello, Fiona, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Kimberly. It is really good to have you. Uh, we featured your story on our website Ah, look, I want to say a few months ago it was, and there was just something about it there. And of course, I reached out and I said, oh my gosh, can I have you on the podcast? Because there were just these little golden nuggets. And I think as a journalist, you can see them and you're like, wow, you know, this this person really has an incredible story that needs to be um, to be shared. So I'm so excited that I actually, I suppose, get to dig in a little bit and um, and share that with our listeners. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It's exciting. It's my pleasure. Now, to get us started, you live in Kyneton, is that correct? That's correct, yes. Yeah, so you're just down the road, uh, <laughs> about an hour. Um, but for those that are not sure where Kyneton is, it's this beautiful part of uh, country Victoria, sort of obviously central Vic, uh, about oh, about an hour out of Melbourne. Uh, it's such a stunning place to live. Uh, lots of Lots of growth happening in the area as well, isn't there? And a few uh, famous people starting to move in. I think, uh, is it Shana Blaze might be one of them? Yeah, she's actually down the road. Oh my gosh, how's that? (laughs) (laughs) Even the the rich and famous know that uh, we've got something good going in uh, country Victoria. Now, just to get us started, uh, something that sort of popped up for me was um, that you were obviously a teacher, you're an assistant principal. And then when I started chatting to you before the podcast, you're like, I said, oh, you know, is this something that you've done? You know, is this your whole career journey? 
but it hasn't been. So did you want to take us back and um, talk us through, I suppose, the bit of your life that that makes sense to the podcast and, and how you became a teacher? Sure. I finished year 12 at 17 and went out and became a photocopy clerk uh, for land titles in Adelaide, actually, uh, and then moved around reception secretarial jobs for a while. And teaching had some been something I had always wanted to do. And we were having, a, my husband and I were having a heart to heart one night. And he said, well, if it's something you still want to do, go do it. So I retrained at University of South Australia as a teacher uh, in primary, junior primary, primary. And my first posting was actually in Unadatta uh, in far north South Australia, a, a remote community there. How was that? And, uh, it was brilliant. Tough, but brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Um, quite a culture shock. Um, and then we moved to Canberra uh, when I finished that. And I began working uh, as a teacher in Canberra in special ed. Uh, And then I moved to New South Wales uh, and an assistant principal position came up for special ed or support in the mainstream school. Uh, And I just took full advantage of the opportunity and got it. So I was working with mainstream teachers and mainstream schools to um, implement strategies and just ways of supporting students and their families so that everyone can can achieve the success. Um, how old were you then when you decided to go into teaching? 27. Yeah, so mature age student. Yeah, so we'd actually been told that uh, we would never have kids. Uh, so that was part of the life-changing decision. Um, I love kids, love being around them went to do teaching in that first year, um, Jess arrived. I tell people that Jess, I had Jess when I was at UD. So um, yeah, just working out that balance of of study commitments, life commitments, and a, a, a new baby. Jess was our biological child. So yeah, um, quite a shock. I thought I had the flu. And uh, we, in 2007, um, we had fostered Early in our marriage, uh, we've had 32 foster children in total. What else? Um, and in 2007, we were asked if we would uh, look after two little ones, uh, siblings, and then we had a phone call to say there's two more. So it was a family group of four, uh, and they all came to live with us, and we actually were able to adopt them in, t- in 2020, COVID. Um, oh, my gosh. So that was a long journey. You're such an incredible person, Fiona, um, to to foster children. Uh, it, I know there's some people that think about it and think, oh, that would be really great. Um, but what it takes to actually do that and and sometimes the stories and the background that those children come to you with um, can be quite a challenge. So you're obviously an incredible, incredible uh, special couple to be able to provide that, that space for them as well. Um, there's a few things that have just gone on there and I'm trying to pick which one. I don't want to go too far back again, but because yeah, we're sort of in that whole adoption part, but in terms of just that special ed, was there something particular that you liked about that? I suppose that, that part of teaching that stream? Yeah. I try to articulate it for you. It's just embracing children for who they are 
without a deficit mindset, without looking at what is wrong with the child, but looking at what the challenges this child has and how we can work together to achieve the best that we can. And that was obviously something, like in terms of background, great for you because of the children that you've adopted, there are four that have special needs. Yeah, there's, there's three three of them have uh, a mix of special needs. We have neurodivergence, autism, uh, ADHD, epilepsy, vision impairment, and intellectual disabilities all thrown in there. How do you manage all of that plus your workload? And uh, tell me what are the, the challenges day to day, but then what are the joys that come out of all that? Sure. Um, early on, the biggest challenge was time. So Wayne and I always tag team working. Um, so one of us would be full time and one would be at home or we would be both part time um, just so we could meet those commitments. They're Now they're young adults and so they're going to their next phase of life and as part of that, their challenge to me was what was I going to do with my next phase of life? How was I going to... Um, look after myself and do things that would fulfill me. And that's how my business came about. Tell me about your business. It is incredible. I, I've loved reading about it and there's a few things that I want to pick out of it. But um, how did you go from, you know, teaching to cancelling in a way? Like how did that, was that a, a really long progress for you or um, something just happened naturally? I think I was looking at other options that other than teaching. Uh, a lot of the work I did with special ed, I just saw the gaps uh, for families to get support, uh, particularly if there was a tough background, so the trauma uh, in the background, which of course my kids had. Um, and so to get someone that would fit that trauma-informed, understand disabilities and all the complexities that not only the children uh, go through, but also the families, and be able to support them. And it was really hard to find that. One of our children um, went through trauma counselling uh, through the Child at Risk Unit in Canberra, and it was through working with them that the therapist turned to me one day and said, you have the background, you have the knowledge, you have the skills, you have the understanding, would you retrain? And I sort of went home with a bit of a giggle, thinking, wow, that was just a crazy thought. And my husband said, would you? why don't you? And so I started exploring different aspects and in 2016 completed my counselling qualifications. Incredible. Um, your husband sounds amazing too, just says the, the right things at the right time, doesn't he? He is. He's pretty supportive. Obviously, there is um, a real challenge in finding someone who understands the complexities um, of all that in rural and regional Australia. And that's the gap that you're really filling, isn't it? It is. It is the gap that I want to fill. I know um, when I when I one went through um, the Child at Risk Unit in Canberra, that was a three and a half, four hour round trip to travel, and we were fortunate that we were in the position to be able to do that. You know, fuel, time, everything, um, and it just really brought it home that those services aren't accessible all the time and services that can acknowledge it's just because today's a really tough day because of the circumstances you're in 
doesn't mean that you've thrown in the towel or you're giving up or you're having a nervous breakdown. You're just acknowledging that today's a really crappy day and to be able to sit with that. Are you seeing a bit of a rise in the number of people that are coming to you for support who are neurodivergent? Yeah, Kimberly, I think I didn't set out to be, uh, I think they call it neuroaffirming uh, practice, um, but 95% of my clients minimum would be neurodivergent. And I think that's because I have that lived experience plus uh, the education understanding with it. Mm. And you have something special that I think just, I mean, if, if any of us have kids and really you don't even have to have kids. I think everyone loves Lego and knows what Lego is and um, just the the joy that it reminds us of, of childhood. You have integrated Lego back into therapy. Did you want to tell me a little bit about that part that you offer? Yeah, um, Lego-based therapy is a thing. Um, it's building communication skills, but I've tweaked it a little bit more. Uh, in that I run Lego thera- Lego-based therapy groups um, and it's using Lego as a focus. So we're not sitting there teaching social skills. We're teaching social skills through the Lego, through the interactions in the group. Um, it's a safe tool to use. Um, some kids are really creative and do free builds. Some use instructions. It's problem-solving, executive function, it's building all those skills that these kids need and adults need, um, but doing it in a really safe, non-threatening environment. And I often do it one-on-one too. I have young, I guess the majority at the moment would be adolescent males, 18, 19, early 20s, and they don't want to sit and talk across the room or next to each other, but to sit on across the table and, and do a Lego build, I think they open up more than they ever would. Um, with the traditional counselling style. Yeah. Um, I mean, it must be such a tricky time uh, being sort of a, I suppose, a young adult, a male young adult and, you know, trying to find your, your way in the world. And are you seeing like quite a number of, you know, young men coming through? I do see a number. The majority of my clients, probably around 80% at the moment, would be male. And I think because I have that Lego focus uh, the non-traditional focus. I don't know whether that attracts them, um, but it's just a really safe space for them to be. And to talk, which is really important. I think there'd be many of our listeners that might listen to the Mamma Mia podcast. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of, of talk around sort of older women being diagnosed with neurodivergence or ADHD Um it, like, have you seen a bit of a rise in that and, and more women talking about that at all through your practice? I have. Um, it's not uncommon for a child to present in my office, but then I'll chat with mum and mum's going through her own diag- her own journey, her own diagnosis, or has been diagnosed because as they're working through um, what's happening with their child or, and the complexities of what's happening, they're starting to go oh, hang on, this I do this or I feel this way. Uh, and then they start exploring their own journey and their own background often reflecting on their childhood. Yeah. you could. Can you see like a little light go off sort of in the their eyes? Yeah. It's empowering. I don't, I'm not a diagnostician uh, as a counsellor, 
Um, but they'll come in and, and they'll be talking in to find a space where they can claim who they are and acknowledge um, it as an empowering thing, not a deficit, but a way of understanding how they work and who they are at a deeper level. There's probably a lot of people that are listening and like neurodivergent, like neurodiverse, like what are these words and what do they mean? Could you tell us a little bit, um, I suppose, at a level that we can all understand, um, yeah, what that means and, and what are the signs and, and how you come in to help help them? Sure, Kimberly, that's always a question I dread because oh. it can be really controversial. Um, it's really big in the media at the moment. It's huge. Um, and everyone seems to have their own take on what it means. Uh, but I guess neurodiversity is, is really a range of neurologies where people just don't fit in that stereotypical or normative neurotypical world. Um, it describes a, a brain and sensory systems and even behavioural traits that are different to the majority of people, I guess, is a way of putting it, or the predominant um, neurotype. And it's, it's how our brains function and process information in a way that might be a little bit different to society's expectations. So neurodivergence um, is really autism, ADHD, sensory processing disorder, your dyspraxia, dyscalculia. Um, so difficulty writing, difficulty speaking, difficulty with numbers, all fits under neurodivergence. Um, and some people are even saying things like epilepsy would come under neurodivergence because it's a difference in how the brain is operating. I've never heard of the word until this year. So I was um, talking to my husband yesterday uh, and he works in a, a special ed school as well. And I said, oh, look, I've got a podcast tomorrow um, interviewing. We'll be sort of talking about neurodivergence. And he goes, you mean neurodiverse? And I'm like, uh, I, I thought it was divergent I might be wrong now and then I started um obviously questioning myself how come it's interchangeable like why can we say neurodivergence and neurodiverse are they both the same in my world they are other people have a different interpretation and I think that's one of the um political things at the moment so I guess a person is neurodiverse um but then people are neurodivergent. Okay. I don't know if that helps me anymore. Still no, makes it really tricky not... and makes me really um, hesitant to, to say the word and, and try to figure out what, yeah. Or yeah, what my sentence is and, and which one fits there. But, um, yeah, as I said, it's not a word that I'd really heard a lot of um, until this year, until, as you said, there's so much media uh, surrounding it, and obviously, depending where you sit and what you listen to, is influences how much you hear. Um, but you know, we've also had guests on the podcast as well now that have talked about that. So, um, yeah, it was just becoming something that was really familiar. And then I'd talk about it with some friends, or you know, talk about it um, at a business sort of meeting, and it was interesting because then those people would be like, "I've never heard of it," and and what are you talking about, and what is this? And then I'm like, "Oh, I don't know, actually." Now I'm stuck. Okay. <laughs> so yes, it's um. So from what you're saying is that it, it there's no clear way, like there's not a, a wrong or right one to to use. They're interchangeable almost. 
I think so. There would be people that would argue with that. I know that. Um, and I know when people come into my office, uh, some people will tell, I'll, I'll ask them how they want to identify or how they identify. So some people are autistic. Openly, I am autistic. Uh, and some people will say they live with autism. Yep. Or they have autism. And so I let my clients, the people in front of me, uh, they are the ones who choose the terminology. Isn't that just a simple question, really? Like for everything, not just for this, um, it could be pronouns, it could be, you know, First Nations people, how they'd like to be identified um, and referred to in articles. Like it's it's just asking the question. Yes. Yep. yep. Um, something we all struggle to do sometimes is just ask the question, isn't it? Well, I think we don't want to get it wrong. Yeah. Yep. I would agree. Like I think that's where I sit. Um, I don't. I don't want to get it wrong, but I don't want to offend someone. Yes. Yeah. That's probably my biggest thing. But again, it, it's just having that confidence to to ask the question and it being okay to ask. Um, there was. There's nothing wrong with that. That's right. And I've had people that have. Um, I don't know. The snap back at me is the right word, but that that have challenged me very strongly. Um, and I'll just acknowledge it. You know that we all work differently and. I respect where they're coming from. So if that's how they wish to be referred to or that that's the wording that they wish me to use, then if it's offended them, I'll apologise and I will make a note and, and that's how I'll refer to them or I'll check in with them each time, yeah. depending where they're at. Yeah. How do you look after yourself? I mean, there's it's got to be hard when you work in these spaces, um, you know, and you're dealing with a lot of other people's trauma and obviously them sharing things in their lives. How do you look after yourself? Yeah, so from a professional perspective, I have uh, two different supervisors, uh, one who identifies as neurodiverse, um, and we, so that would be a weekly check-in, um, and that's an investment as far as I'm concerned. That's that's my growth. That's how I keep myself in check, make sure I'm grounded, um, and serving my clients the best that I can. Family's huge for me and they're all, my youngest is 19 and the eldest is 24. So they're all looking at the next few years flying flying the coop. Um, so it's spending time with them, having fun with them and finding that balance with it. I like quiet times, so I like walks, um, jigsaws, sewing, um, and it's different for everyone. I love what I do. So study is, is self-care for me. Um, we had, It was interesting a couple of years ago, I was talking with someone um, and all the minimalism stuff is in and I thought, oh, I need to get rid of my stuff. I've got so much stuff. Um, but it's that stuff when I, when I have a hard day, when I sit with someone through a really hard story and I go home and I look at my fancy teacups and I get them out and I have a cup of tea because that's something I used to do with a good friend years ago. And that brings me those memories and brings me into a happy space. Then that's self-care. I like that. I'm liking your definition of self-care that is uh, slightly different to what other people would define it as. You know, your meditation and your massage and all of that. It, it, it's, as you said, it, it's getting the nice teacups out. 
you know, I mean, that's something that we always put to the top of the shelf, isn't it? And we only bring out on special occasions. But, um, you know, to be doing that on a regular basis to, you know, to recenter yourself, it's actually a beautiful little, yeah. And I have um, a massive little knickknacks that friends laugh at, but some glass mushrooms that friends gave me when they moved to Canada um, and all those sorts of things, but they bring back the memories. So when, you know, some of the stuff that I do with my, my job and even with the kids at home, uh, it can be pretty dark. And so to have those good times and, and share those laughs uh, and even reconnect Facebook, all that sort of stuff's brilliant. Just to send a quick note, found, found your stuff in my cupboard, uh, found a note from you, opened a book that you gave me. Um, just that reconnection is I love brilliant. It. Um, you just touched on something that um, has been, I suppose, something I'm focusing on at the moment or a bit of a topic of conversation. And um, that is, you know, we do deal with hard stories. We listen to hard stories. And obviously we're in very, very, very different industries, um, you and I, Fiona. But, um, you know, we listen to to people share those hard times. Um, I've found it hard for myself over the last uh, 12 months. It, it definitely kicked off probably uh, mid last year, I think, just in share people sharing their times with me and then me having to open up about my story all of a sudden everything felt a little too heavy and probably wasn't looking after myself there's almost not that duty of care of how do we deal how do we deal with this how do we work through it um especially when you're not trained to what do you think do you think as content creators that being so unqualified in the space of you know, dealing with heavy topics. I know it's the same word over and over, but um, like, how do we look after ourselves? Do you think there is something there that's popping up? Um, you know, where podcasters are interviewing anyone and anyone without actually that duty of care to check back in and make sure what they're saying, that there isn't something underlying that, I don't know, it's just a, a big conversation in my head, Fiona. <laughs> and I don't think I articulated that at all very well so oh gosh I think it's it's really interesting times that we're in and I I might sound really old saying things like that um people are sharing stories that once upon a time would have been uh, yeah secrets in the closet that's what I needed to say you know um you, you might have gone to therapy but you didn't even let people know that you were going to therapy and they're now putting it out there for everyone to hear and for themselves, it can be a in in some ways a liberating thing, but they don't realise that that's now public property. We need to look at the motivations behind sharing some of the stories. Sometimes it can be that you can open that story and you can empower dozens of people to make change in their life. Uh, but it's finding that balance. It's it's reaching out to a coach or a therapist or a counsellor um, to help you walk the journey, to walk with you through the journey. Uh, as you, because you, we all have stuff. I think that we don't want to acknowledge that we've pushed back, uh, and then something will bring it you know, to the front. Some people call it triggering, but really, it's just um, uncovering something that perhaps we weren't ready to deal with or we didn't understand or we've misinterpreted. 
in how we've done it. And I think that's where it's hard, Fiona, because it, it is so empowering to share our stories. You know, um, someone else with the same sort of lived experience can then go, well, oh my gosh, I, I'm not different. You know, here's someone else that's gone through the same thing, um, you know, and, and they've they've survived that. You know, there, there's a chance for me too as well. And oh, look what they've done to get to that point. You know, I can take um, some tips from that. Like I, I absolutely believe in the power of storytelling. I think for me at the minute, it, as probably what you've just touched on, are we ready to share some of those stories? Um, you know, and we do probably need that support that when we do open up and it is out there, that that we can fall back on something and we can go in and, you know, and have a talk together and say, okay, so you've shared it. How do you feel about that now? And, um, yeah, work through those those feelings and and all of that. Because as you said, it, it's once it's out there, it's it's out there. And I, I think one of the most powerful things for me on my journey was to be able to share information uh, but not have the emotional entanglement with it. So not about disassociating from it at all, but it no lo- it to have unpacked it enough that it no longer had that power over me to make me feel small or make me feel ashamed or uncertain about myself. So I could actually relate it as this was my experience it's part of my story. It's not defining who I am. So there'd definitely be a benefit in someone, even a business person. So I had said this, I think it was last week at a business event, that our first hire should be a therapist. Um, you know, not someone to help us with the books or anything like that. It's actually to work through um, some of it, even something as simple as our relationship with money. You know, um, that obviously stems from childhood for for many of us. Uh, And then that can then weave its way back into our business, you know, why we don't charge more and um, why we don't chase up invoices and why we're happy just to get what we get and not ever reach for more. Um, I think, do you think it'd be worth those that are like, okay, you know, I want to do PR. Um, I want to get this media attention. I'm being told to share my story. Like it might be actually a good idea to to speak to a counsellor or a therapist and make sure I am ready. Make sure I can, as you said, um, that emotional entanglement, like untangle that, separate it and, and go through. Yeah, definitely. Look, uh, a counsellor, therapist, even a, a coach, but finding someone that, that uh, you yeah. fit with, that you're comfortable with because... I know in my journey I've met people, uh, met coaches, met counsellors and you can do the clinical or the process side of it uh, but you still hold something back because you're not 100% comfortable with the person. Uh, So finding someone that that you gel with. I I know um, from the families that come to see me uh, I'll often get the comment from them, we know you get it. We know you understand it. So they're more open. They're more willing to share uh, where they're at and that's how we move forward. And with your journey, Fiona, like you've had a few, like you've had ones that haven't worked. How do you how do you sort of, I suppose, get out of that and then, you know, have the confidence to go again to another one and, you know, unpack? Yeah, that's... 
been huge. In the last year, I think I've made massive growth in that area um, in being able to unpack it and move on a lot quicker. And I um, actually became a founding member of the Emotional Fitness Formula, which was um, created by Joe Parne. And it's about our relationship with uncertainty uh, and our adaptability, our perspective, our life stages, understanding elements uh, that we can unpack, repack, and be comfortable with the fact that life is uncertain, that things will go well sometimes, and you might do the same thing six months, exactly the same thing six months down the road, and it falls apart. Um, but being able to just acknowledge that that's what it was. It's, if there's things you need to do to grow from it, to change, brilliant opportunity. So turning it from a negative into opportunities, into challenges, um, failure is, is a way of moving forward. If you haven't failed, you haven't tried. I always love that quote. And I think if you're in business, you, you probably feel it a lot. You, you get a little bit more comfortable with it the further on in your journey um, that you go. In terms of your business journey, um, what have been some of the struggles? What have you found that have, have been a hurdle? Uh, for me, being a sole trader, so I am on my own. I'm, I'm doing tough stuff. Um, and part of that was getting supervisors in, getting people that I can um, relate to a coach for quite some time um, so that I wasn't on my own, building a network up and building a network locally of similar colleagues that we can uh, support each other, refer to each other, build up is huge. Um, that, that doubt as a business owner, that doubt of it's school holidays, it's the end of the year, suddenly my um, clients' bookings all day, every day are gone and where's the money going to come from? And having that faith that it will pick up next week or it will pick up in January um, and being able to look forward rather than look back and panic has been huge. How many years have you been in business? So I started 2016 part-time, so I was teaching uh, and building the business up. We moved to Kyneton end of 2021, and I said to the family I was going to build my business, and I'd give myself two years to see if it was viable. Um, I opened the doors in February, and my books were full by May. Oh, wow. So that was huge in itself. Yeah. And are people, are they local, Fiona, or are they traveling, you know, from sort of those, I suppose, the other towns that we have surrounding Kyneton? You know, more regional. Yeah. Um, so I, I do have a couple of clients from Bendigo, um, a couple from Canberra. There you go. So that's a that's um, remote. Um, telehealth It's probably a better word for it. Um, but most are regional. Surrounding areas. Yeah. 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 Are you sort of the only one of of uh, your type um, in your area? Yeah, I think so. There's lots of neuro-affirming um, practices coming out and about. Um, but I think the uniqueness that I bring um, is what attracts people. So I have the Lego therapy, but I... Um, 
can bring in anything. So uh, I have a, a client who loves jigsaws. So we actually do our session over a jigsaw. Um, it's that scope that brings people and referrals is huge. Yeah. Yep. I imagine it would be. Um, but as you said, I think it, it also is just that, that fact that you can relate. You have that lived experience. They're talking to someone who knows the challenges that they're going through. That must be just a, a huge relief sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And just understanding the regional rural remote, you know, to have a client earlier in the year ring and say, I, I can't make it, we're flooded in. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, for telehealth, they're like, well, we don't even have internet. And it's like, oh, that's cool. Call me when things are, when you're able and we'll work something out. So having a little bit of flexibility with it because you understand if it's um, harvest time, you know, it's it's not that they want to drop appointments. It's there's other priorities right at that moment in time. What about the highs? What are you loving about being a business owner? That's a um, hard question. Um, my biggest hurdle has been to get over the fact that I am an expert in the area that I'm in. Um, and so I have been loving my own growth. I have been loving seeing my confidence grow. Loving being recognised for the skills that I have, even just being invited into this podcast, um, was like, well, is this for real? Is this, this is, really? Me? Absolutely. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So, and and to be able to um, see positive changes for people, even if their circumstances can't change, just their um, attitude or the way they're managing it and to see them go from uh, picking their nails and, and shoulders all hunched over to see them come in relaxed and a smile on their face, um, even if sometimes they're talking about the same sort of situation, uh, is for me is hugely rewarding. I like that when you said um, sometimes like our circumstance doesn't change, but we can change, you know, I think that's a, something that, you know, maybe some of us can actually apply to, to the situations that we're in. So always little nuggets. This is probably one of those uh, podcasts that I'd, I'd love for our listeners to, to send in questions. So we definitely pop it up on the post when it goes on our social, so Facebook, Insta, LinkedIn and that. But um. Before I do let you go, I would love to know about a friend of yours that we need to know about. Yeah, I'm going to be cheeky. Um, they're in uh, South Australia. Um, Jess Keenan, she's a leading change experience. She's, um, she's always with horses and she's empowering women and uh, young women to embrace who they are and move forward with their life, develop to be a whole person be self-aware in a really safe, really beautiful environment and just um, to see we, we sort of, we're journeying in together in some ways, um, but to see the growth uh, in her, but also in her business uh, and the confidence uh, and the work she does is just beautiful. I've um, read a few articles, well, we've published an article um, and also read others on sort of horse or equine therapy. There must be something magical about horses. 
Yeah, they're they're an animal that's really attuned to their surroundings. Um, so they, uh, I won't do it justice by any way. I'm not an equine uh, person myself, but just the power that they bring and the healing that they can bring with the connection, uh, it's very real and very tangible if you ever observe it. Yeah, amazing. Well, we'll pop her name in our show notes as well so that people can uh, find and discover uh, even more about equine therapy. I would like to thank you so very much for being a guest uh, and just giving us uh, an insight into your journeys from obviously um, teaching into your own business, but the incredible work that you've done over the years as a foster parent. Uh, I think that's probably a whole episode on its own on someone else's podcast too. Um, we have friends who have, um, you know, fostered children and I just, I know that that's not an easy journey and you are very, very, very special people um, to do what you do. Your business is incredible as well, Fiona. Um, you know, it's. I'm sure there are people listening who are like, this is what we need. This is someone that we need to speak to about either ourselves or one of our children um, or maybe refer a friend or something like that. So, of course, we've got all your details. It's on our website. It'll be in the, the show notes. So thank you again um, for being a guest and, and sharing your journey. Well, thank you for inviting me. I've really enjoyed it. My pleasure. Now, before you take off with all that inspiration and knowledge, we'd love for you to leave a review on our podcast so that we can continue to amplify women's voices in the media. And if you have any questions, we'd like to celebrate a win. You can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Oak Magazine AU. I'm so glad we've met and that now you know a friend of mine.